0: Alright, well good morning, um, here we are again, uh, we're continuing our series this morning on the, the promises of God, I had thought at one point uh, that uh, last week might have been the last, but actually I have, uh, I was preparing this week and I was a whole message of myself, but it goes with the promises of God, so i got to continue with this series, and then uh, next week I'm already working on that, and I'm excited, I'm actually even more excited about next week's message, so... Next week, too, we will, kind of informally, because we don't have anything planned, but we will be celebrating four years of White House Mm -hmm. Encyclopedia Center. Uh Uh, We actually started four years on the first Sunday of December. This is the first Sunday of December, There's five Sundays this month. But we started on the 7th, and uh, next Sunday will be the 9th. So we will officially be announcing that, and uh, we don't have anything planned as far as any uh, festivities. But uh, anyway, we... uh, Four years uh, this month, we have uh, started this church, and so uh, we're still continuing on what the guys uh, told us to do. So, with that, that in mind, we're gonna, uh, like I said, continue with our series this morning on the promises of God. And uh, so, I keep, uh, I keep mulling over this scripture, Second Corinthians chapter one verse twenty. And this has been kind of the scope of my. Uh, Launching pad of this week and even next week's message, and can be continuing to to springboard from this passage of scripture that Paul writes as for all the promises of God, and all means all. all all the promises of God in Him in Christ are yes, and in Him Christ, Amen. To the glory of God. Through us, And I'm going to be kind of focusing more on the last part of this verse. Uh, to the glory of God through us. And that's uh, kind of uh, where I'm going with this. But the scope that I'm going to be teaching this morning, and uh, even next week, is with the premise and understanding all, we're talking about the promises of God. And all of the promises of God in Him are yes, and in Him amen to the glory of God. God is glorified. When we operate in the promises of God, that are already yes. They're already amen. We just need to operate in them um, to the glory of God. Amen? So, that making sense? So, then, this morning, we're going to go forward to, uh, as we continue in the context, that was verse 20. In verse 21-22, Paul goes on He says, Now he who establishes us with you in Christ, and has anointed us, is God who also has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So we're in the same context of uh, where we're going to go with, because we're um, on verse 20. But in verse 21 and 22, uh, a couple key phrases I want to highlight here. Now, God has established us in Christ. And throughout this series and throughout the day and the next week, we're going to continue to expand on, uh, how God has established us in Christ, and we're going to focus this morning more primarily on this anointing. We're going to talk about the anointing, and anointing, and all the promises of God are are in, him, are in Him are yes, and in Him, Amen, to the glory of God, through us. And now He who establishes us with you in Christ. God has established us in Christ. We need to understand that. We're not just in Christ, but we need to be established in who we are in Christ. And in many ways, that's the scope of my message today and next week. That we need to know that we are, and we need to be established in our own hearts and minds of who we are in Christ. And who we are in Christ, we have an anointing. There's anointing. God has anointed us in, uh, in Christ. And I'm also going to be highlighting, and He has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. I'm going to be highlighting some things about the Holy Spirit this week and especially next week. We talk more about the Holy Spirit. I'm going to be highlighting some of that as well this week. this all goes with the promise. This all goes with the anointing. Uh, I'm hoping to connect some of those dots. Making sense? I'm just barely getting going so far this morning. In other words, i want to reiterate, God has established us in Christ. We need to know that. We need, we need to be established in that truth, and that reality. If we are going to walk in the supernatural, that is kind of a, a subtitle for this week and next week. I, we need to be walking in the supernatural. And the supernatural should be normal. Because we are in Christ. And we have an anointing. And all the promises of God are yes and amen. To the glory of God through us. Okay, but if we are going to walk in the anointing, or we're going to operate in the supernatural, we must understand the anointing. That makes sense. We need to understand the anointing. So we're going to be talking about that primarily this morning. We need to understand that we are anointed by God, not just the pastor, not just the missionary, not just the prophet, apostle. We are we, if we are believers of God, and we are in Christ, we are anointed by God. Okay? So, first of all, we're going to be talking about God's anointing in you, and then we're going to be focusing on God's anointing on you. Okay? Now, when I talk talking about God's anointing in you, we're, kind of, we're talking about also walking out the Christian life, experiencing the Christian life. the the benefits of the uh, the anointing in you has primarily to do with your walk in this Christian life, okay? But when we talk about God's anointing on you, which we'll be talking about in a few minutes, we're going to be talking about ministering to other people. that make sense? So again, God's anointing in you is about your walk with the Lord, and God's anointing on you is about you ministering to other people and we need to understand both. Does that make sense? So we're going to focus uh, right now on God's anointing in you. When you receive Jesus Christ, the Spirit of Christ lives in you. And Christ who is in you is the anointed one. You know, we, we, we so often live our life, we under, in, the, in a study like this, in a church setting like this, we recognize that Christ is in us. But a lot of times we do not operate our day in and day out activities with that knowledge of who we are in Christ. Of Christ being in us. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but the life I live, I live by the faith of Jesus Christ. We need to understand that Christ who is in us, he is the anointed one. And it's no longer we who live, but it's Christ the anointed one. Who lives in us. Does that make sense? We need to, we need to have that as a living reality. Not just when we come together. Not just when we talk about it. But we need to live our whole life. From that lens. From that perspective. From that reality. From being established in Christ. Okay? Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13. We're looking at a couple of verses here. It says, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation whom, also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Verse 14 Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. I just want to highlight a couple things here, just to, again, as we're kind of getting started <laughs> but basically this is how it works and just if I can bullet point this we heard the word of God, or we heard the gospel. We believe the gospel, or His word. We received the word. We received Christ. We received His gospel. We heard it. We believed it. We received it, and then Christ lives inside of us. The Christ that we heard and believed and received lives inside of us, and this, and He seals us with the Holy Spirit of promise. Okay just kind of five steps to kind of, we heard it, we believed it, we received it. That's what we did. And, and we heard the gospel, we believed it, we received it, and Christ lives inside us. And he has us with the Holy Spirit of promise. Okay? that making sense? Okay? Now, I want to back up here for a moment, too. You know, we're, we're using some terminology here because we're talking about the promises of God. And we're going to be highlighting some of this in in a few minutes, but it's just that we're we're still with the Holy Spirit of promise. We're talking about promise, okay? But he also says, who is the guarantee of our inheritance? When we hear the word inheritance, that is our promise. That is the promise. All, All the promises of God in Him are yes, and in Him, amen, to the glory of God through us, okay? Peter also uses this word in 1 Peter 1 4. He says, But to an inheritance or to a promise that is incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for us. This promise, this inheritance has been sealed by the Holy Spirit. In other words, we have an inheritance, we have a promise that the world cannot can give you. And the world cannot take it away. It is sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. It is, Peter says, it is incorruptible, it is undefiled, and it cannot fade away. If you are in Christ, if you are established in Christ, you have an inheritance, you have a, you have a promise that is incorruptible, is undefiled, and it cannot fade away. The world cannot give it to you, and the world cannot take it away. There's nothing in this world that can add or take, take away from the promise that the inheritance that you have in Christ. That make sense? Okay. Going to 1 John. We're going to spend a lot of time in John. 1 John. Uh, John has a lot to say about this anointing. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. And you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Again, I'm going to make the statement a couple of times here. We are anointed by God. We're not anointed, we're not anointed by the church. We're not anointed by man. We are anointed by God. And anointing comes from Him. We, in other words, we have the same Spirit of Christ. Christ is living on the inside of us. I'll spend a little bit more time next week on, on this because we look about, we're going to spend some time next week in John 14, 15, and 16 when Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. Okay? But we have the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, If I, I go, I will give you another comfort. I will give you a paraclete. I will give you my spirit, which is the Spirit of Christ. We have the anointing. When we're talking about the anointing, that there I can bring out some definitions and stuff, but when I think of the anointing, I think of the Spirit of Christ. Because it's Christ who lives in me, and He is the anointed one. It's His Spirit. God has, in a sense, multiplied Himself in us, the Church. The same Spirit that Christ had, we're going to highlight this a little bit later in the second half of our message today, <clears throat> but uh, the same Spirit that Christ had is the same spirit you and I have in the whole church. That makes sense? And the whole church has it. Anyone who has been a believer of Christ, but not all, all the churches have recognized that anointing. Not everyone has recognized who they have and who they are in Christ. That makes sense? Okay? We have the same spirit that Christ has. It's not a different spirit, it's not a more advanced spirit. It's not a less advanced spirit. You know, we have the same spirit of God. The same spirit of Christ. Going back to First John 1 Twenty, You have, that you are going to be, that you have an anointing. You have the spirit from the Holy One. And you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And that no lie is of the truth. There's a lot of that can kind highlight here about the truth this week and even next week. But let me just make this point right now. The Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Truth that is in you. And that's, a, that's another name for the Spirit of God. He's called the Spirit of Truth. And the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Truth, teaches us the truth. He brings the Scriptures to remember. He is a teacher. Jesus was known as a teacher. In the same Spirit of God that was in Christ is enough. And one thing that He does among other things is that the Holy Spirit is our teacher. He is our guide. He is our counselor. You know, sometimes we go to a counselor. Maybe it might be some kind of counselor, but we might go to a lawyer. We might go to uh, some type of uh, counselor to get wisdom, to get direction, to run things by them. To get, uh, uh, sometimes we want to make a move in our, in our church from a business standpoint. And we want to get some counsel. We want them to teach us and show us what's the best move for us and why or why not we should do something. I just use that as an example. But the Holy Spirit is our counselor. He is our guide. He teaches us. We're going to highlight well, like this more next week. But the scripture says that he testifies of me, Jesus said. He's going to testify, and he's going to teach us who we are in Christ. And, and to of other things. That making sense? The Spirit, the Spirit who is in you. See, the Spirit is not an it. It's a who. Every time I sit, talk like that, I feel like I'm Dr. Seuss. But the Spirit of God is a who. And he is in you. And he who is in you, that anointing that is in you, which is the Spirit of God, he knows all things. He doesn't have to be taught. He knows all things. And he who knows all things is teaching you. You have the best teacher in the universe teaching you. And he's not there. He's not somewhere else. He is with you always. He is in you. That's awesome. <clears throat> Continue on, 1 John, verse 22 says, <clears throat> he's asking the question here, who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? And he is ant- he is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. And whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. Either he who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Verse 24. Therefore. And anytime we see the word therefore, we have to find out what it was therefore. So he, he's going to make some statements here that are connected with what he just said. John talks a lot about the spirit of Antichrist. In both his, the first, first John and also second John. But he talks about the Antichrist. The word Antichristo means against or instead of Christ. Okay? Um, but the spirit of Antichrist can also be someone who will lead us against Christ. Who will lead us away from Christ. And, there's, and John also talks about how there are many Antichrists in the world. We're not so much talking about The Antichrist as talked about in the last days, although they can apply to that. But it, he's talking about uh, anyone who does, he makes a strong statement here, he who does not believe in the Son, he who does not believe in Jesus, is an Antichrist. It, it's, a, it's an Antichrist theology. It's an Antichrist belief system. It's an Antichrist uh, concept of perception. And you know, we have met many people through the years, and in recent days, and recent months, and recent years, who once believed in God, once believed in Christ, some of these were even in ministry, as missionaries and teachers of various kinds, but now they're questioning, is Jesus really the Christ? Is Jesus really the Son of God? Is all this for nothing? And, anyway, I get a little ahead of myself, I mean, he talks about anyone who does not acknowledge Christ as as the Son is the an Antichrist. Not say, he's not saying he's the Antichrist, but he's operating the Antichrist theology. Therefore, with all that in mind, he says, "Let that abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and the Father." We're gonna pick. We're gonna spend some more time with this in just a minute. But He's talking a lot about abiding. Even in uh, in the other epistle, John John 15, he talks about abiding. He echoes the words of Jesus who says, Abide in me and my words will abide in you. We'll talk about that more next week, about John 15, because we're going to spend some time there. But John is emphasizing that, that if we understand what we have been given, we have been given Christ, the anointed one we will continue in the Son. If we will abide, if we will continue in Him, we will continue in the Son. In other words, if we stop abiding in God, if we isolate ourselves from Christ, we will discontinue in the Son. I'm not talking about so much losing our salvation, although that, that can lead towards a rapid mind and heart. But I'm talking about um, this is a relationship. And and if we are going to continue in the Son, if we are going to continue in this relationship with God, then we need to abide in Him. We need to guard our affection towards Christ. We need to guard and protect our relationship with Him. I'm going to spend some more time on this. As we go forward here, okay? In other words, those who turn away do not know what they have. I'm going to, I hope you hear me out here in a few minutes. But I believe many people who have turned away from God, who are angry at God, don't have a true revelation of who He is and what they have in Him. They have a Form of godliness, but have denied the power therein. They have a religion and not a relationship with the living God. They, in their minds, they have accepted Christ, but in their hearts, they have never developed a relationship that was based on truth. It was a form of truth, and doesn't mean it didn't have some truth in there, but it just means it was more of a religion. It was more in their minds than in their heart. They never became established in the truth. They heard a form of Christianity. They heard a form of God. And it might have all been good and lovely and wonderful. And, and, and there could be a lot of truth in that. But they never developed a relationship with God. And because of that, they never really understood what they had in Christ. They never Denying God, they never denied the gospel, but they did not know who He really was by His true nature, and they did not know what they really had, and because they didn't know what they had, they didn't continue. That makes sense. I mean, I know this by my own testimony. I grew up in a great Christian home, I grew up in good churches. But it wasn't until the last few years I really finally got a revelation. Who I was in Christ and what I have and what a relationship I kept trying to perform to become accepted by God and and then I realized I was already the righteous God in Him, and that revelation transformed my life, and that revelation has enabled me to continue in the Son. There have been so many times in the, that those years I didn't want to continue. I didn't want to say that. I didn't want to voice that. I didn't even want to act that out because I knew it would, would, not, be, would not be good. It was not right. But it, all I had was a, a religion mixed with Christianity. Instead of having true Christianity, which is a relationship with God based on knowing who I am in Christ because of what he did. And when I finally got a glimpse and a revelation of who I was in Christ, I never want to let that go. I've been ruined in a good way. Hopefully, I'm making sense. First John five thirteen. Same book later on in the book says, "These things I have written to you, who believe in the name of the Son of God." He's talking to Christians. He's talking to the brethren. He's talking to those, he says, I written to those to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. You believe in the name of the Son of God, which is Jesus. We're going to talk more next week about the name of Jesus. Okay? That you may know that you have eternal life. John is writing to those who, who believe in the name of Jesus Christ that they may know that you have not going to have, but that you have, present tense, eternal life. That making sense? And that you may continue to believe. That's huge. John is writing to those who believe in Jesus that they may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of Jesus, who's the son of God. Are you hearing those words? Paul, again, I'm going to say it again. John is writing to those who already believe that they may know that they have eternal life and that they may continue to believe in the name of Jesus. God wants us to know what we have. We have Jesus. We have eternal life. We have an anointing. And if we have Christ, we have everything. And if we have Christ, we have all the promises of God that in Him are yes and in Him are amen to the glory of God. Because if you have Christ, you have all the promises. But if we don't know who we have, we don't know what we have, how are we going to operate in the promises? Because that's what we're talking about. But we got to look at the whole enchilada, too. If we understand what we have been given, we will continue in the Son. But if we don't know what we have, or what we think we know, is not in reality the 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 fullness of what we have, then that can deter us whether we are going to continue in the Son. I'm just echoing what John's saying here in John chapter five, verse fifteen, verse thirteen. Because again, he says, I'm right that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe. And some people have not continued to believe in the Son. If you know the greatness of what you have, you will continue to believe on Jesus. That's huge. And that's why we do what we do in this ministry we're trying to teach people who they are in Christ, so that they can continue to believe. And for some some people take in really believe for the first time. They might believe in Jesus, but they they have stopped believing in Jesus. They stop trusting in Him. They stop leaning on Him. So many people are mad at God for unanswered prayer, for given things, but they don't know what they have, and they have. That's tragic. But anyways, here's a major point here. Many have accepted Christ in their minds, but they do not have a heart relationship with Jesus. That is huge. Many have accepted Christ in their minds, but they do not have a heart relationship with Jesus. This whole thing is about a relationship with Jesus. It's not about a religion. We can accept Christ in our minds and have no relationship with him. But many people have only accepted Christ in their minds when they do not have a heart relationship. In other words, they have built their house on the sand, which is their minds, and not built it on the rock, their hearts. And when the storms of life come, the destruction, can either be great, or or just domestic damage. But we need to be established in our hearts in a relationship with Jesus. We need to have a life-giving relationship with Jesus. I wish I had more time this morning to talk about this. I give, I, there's a big message I can preach out in 1 Corinthians 15. How we have, have given, been given a life-giving spirit in Christ. And we have. We're not going to get. We already have. If we have Christ, we have a life-giving relationship with Jesus. If you know what you have, and there's a condition there, if you know what you have and given, you will not go another direction. This is a major point that John is making in his epistle. He's talking about the spirit of Antichrist that's in the world. But if we don't know who we have, and we don't know what we have in Christ, we will be tempted to go a different direction. We will be tempted to listen and to submit to the spirit of Antichrist that is in the world. The spirit of Antichrist, I can have time to tie the dots. One of the things about the spirit of Antichrist is is that it is deceiving. Satan's number one weapon, and actually the only weapon he has, is deception, is delusion. And if we are not established, and if we do not know what we have in Christ, or what we've been given, we will be tempted to go another direction. People have gotten into the occult, people have gotten into all kinds of humanistic and world theologies. There's a lot of sick world theologies going around in our world today. And it's the spirit of Antichrist, because we don't even know who we are. I can open a lot of political doors right now, but I'm not going to go there. Going back to verse John, verse 20, chapter 2, verse 24, it says, Therefore, let that abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. If if condition, what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise. This is the promise that he has promised us eternal life. I want to read this in the King James, same passage of Scripture, but I want to read the King James. That that therefore abide in you which you have heard from the beginning, and that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you. Ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. The a second time John brings up this idea of continuing in the sun. We have the promise of eternal life. There is no greater promise than the promise of eternal life. Eternal life is not a, a place. It's not just a place we go to when we die or when Jesus comes again. Jesus said it this way in John 17, verse 3. This is eternal life, that you believe in Jesus. I'm paraphrasing. But our relationship with Jesus is eternal life. We have not been given a religion, a belief system. We have been given a relationship with Jesus, and that relationship with Jesus is eternal life, according to John seventeen three. We have a promise of eternal life. And all the promises of God are yes in Him and amen to the glory of God through us. Amen? So we have the promise of eternal life. We have the anointing of truth. We have the anointing of truth. Verse John 2.26 says, "These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. That spirit of Antichrist that is in the world is trying to deceive us. First John 2, 27 says, But the anointing which you have received from Him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and this is true, and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in Him. There's a lot here. I wish I had time to, to go a little slower. But it says, But the anointing which you have received from Him abides in you. The Spirit of God, the anointing which you have received, it abides in you. And you did not need anyone to teach you, but as the same anointing, what anointing? The anointing that you have received. The anointing that has, that, you, that abides in you. This anointing teaches you. Concerning all things, and it's true, and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in Him. There's a lot being said here. But this anointing that we have received and abides in us, it is teaching us. And one of the things that it is teaching us, it is teaching us to continue to abide in Him. Okay? We have received the anointing of Him as a born again believer. We have already received this anointing. <coughs> we, we, we have received. I don't know why I went back to there. John is not saying we do not need to be taught by apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. If we will be taught by the Spirit of Christ, who is in us, we will not be deceived by the Spirit of Antichrist that is in the world. There are a lot of philosophies out there. There are a lot of teachings out there right now. We must be Taught by the Spirit of Christ. We must be taught by the anointing that is in us, the Spirit of Christ, so that we won't be deceived by other spirits. We won't be deceived by something that's untrue. We won't be deceived by some myth or teachings of men. Does that make sense? Paul warned us a lot in his epistles, especially in Timothy, that in these last days there will be perilous times. He's that Paul talks about, in the last days there will be many deceiving spirits. Paul talks about many will lead the faith. Jesus taught that many hearts will wax cold because of the things coming upon the earth. But we need to be taught, But we need to have a relationship with the Spirit of Christ, the anointed God that is in us, so we are not deceived by the Spirit of Antichrist that is in the world. That is huge. Am I making sense? Okay, it's a little quiet this morning, and so I want to make sure. The Spirit of Christ who is in you will protect you from the spirit of the Antichrist that is in the world. He is our guide. He is our counselor. He is our paracleton. And if we're not careful, and we don't continue and abide in the mind, abide in Christ who is in us, we can be deceived. I've taught this before, but the the biggest danger about deception is what? When you're deceived, you don't know it. Most people who are deceived will not admit it. Why? Because they don't know it. They're deceived. That's the danger about deception. You don't know. You're being deceived. But if if you have learned to listen to the Spirit of God who is in you, the Spirit of Christ is in you. You will recognize untruth when it comes your way. It will be flagged. It, he will warn you. He will. There will be something in you. This is not God. This is not true. This is wrong. This is unhealthy. That makes sense. Hopefully, I'm making sense this morning. If we do not abide in Him, we will begin to judge everything by our minds instead of by the Holy Spirit. We will reason. The Bible says, uh, trust in the Lord in all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path straight. If we do not abide in Him, we will begin to judge everything by our minds, by our own reasoning. By, Jesus said to be carnally minded is death. To be spoiled Spiritually minded is life and peace. But we will judge everything in our minds instead of by the Holy Spirit. I don't want to be carnally minded. I want to be spiritually minded. We need to abide in Him. Because if we're abiding in the vine, guess where the source is? The vine. But if we're abiding in the vine, so to speak, but we are coming to our own conclusion and judgment on things, that's dangerous. That's how the Antichrist works. That's how uh, the spirit of Christ is in the world. That's how all these things work. It works through deception. And how many you know the way Satan works, he will make it sound good. He will even use scripture that has been sugar and twisted. He will use deception. It will sound noble. It will sound, sound human, humanistic. It will sound reasonable. But we need to be led by the Spirit and not by the flesh. That make sense? Intellect versus being led by the Spirit of God. One is dangerous, but Paul says to be spiritually minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Intellect versus being led by the spirit. Paul said in Romans 8, For as many are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons. Are we being led by the Spirit of God or our minds? Are we being led by the, by the Spirit of God or something else that is in this world? We need to be led by the Spirit of God. And how do we get led, be led by the Spirit of God? We need to be, know who we are in Christ. You allow Him to teach us. We'll spend more time with this next week Come on in a little bit. If you will to listen to the Spirit of Christ who is in you, He will protect you. He is your guide. He is. We talked about the week go, he is your shepherd. We must listen to the spirit of life who has taken up residence in the side of us. We need to listen to the spirit of life. We need to listen to the spirit of truth who has taken up residence in the inside of us. The spirit of God will teach you whatever you need. We need to listen. We need to develop a relationship of listening and not leaning on our own understanding. Does that make sense? One thing He will teach you is how to abide in Christ. The Spirit of God will never lead you to isolate yourself from Christ. The Spirit of God will always lead you to Christ, to abide even when we get into it next week, John 14, 15, and 16. In the middle of talking about the Holy Spirit, we have the teaching of abiding Christ, abiding in the vine. Abiding in the vine is all about the Holy Spirit. If you you think about that in context. We have an anointing on the inside of us. An anointing on the inside of us enables us to live the Christian. walk. Yes, he's the source. He's the one that enables us. In the flesh we are nothing, but we are not just flesh. We are a new creation in Christ. Okay. You learn to listen to the Spirit of God who is on the inside of you. There is protection. John 5 5 says, Now hope is not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So, we've been talking, this has been the first half of this message so far. We've been talking about God's anointing, His Spirit in you, It enables you to walk out the Christian life. Now, we're going to jump to, we're going to switch gears here, here, and we're going to be talking about God's anointing on you and missing other people. Okay? So, there's two sides of the coin here that we're going to be looking at. We're going to start switching gears and we get the second half of this message. So let me say this, the anointing in you leads you to the anointing on you. Okay? The anointing in you ministers life to you. That's huge. We can't minister to other people. We don't have the life in us. That makes sense? We minister out of the overflow of so how he's ministering to us. But the anointing in you ministers life to you. But the anointing on you ministers life to you're not the light. You're not the source. You are abiding in the source. And you abide in the source. You're going to be the fruit of his spirit. And people will pick that fruit and there's life. Love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness. That make sense? People are going to pick our, our fruit, which is the fruit of the spirit, because we're abiding in the vine. And when they pick up that fruit, they will be edified with the life of God. He's the source, not us. John 4.14, Jesus said this way to the, the, the woman at the well. He says, but wh- whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of, of water springing up into everlasting life. Later on, J- Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit also in John 7.38. says, and he who believes in me as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers. of uh, living." In context here, I didn't put it on the screen, but he's talking about the Holy Spirit. He's speaking of the Holy Spirit who will flow out of us like rivers of living water. Now, uh, before we get to too much about the Holy Spirit, we, uh, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail here, but Jesus, when he was baptized at the waters of John, we we know this from many accounts, but when G- at, at Jesus' baptism, when Jesus received, the Holy Spirit. Amen? We can all concur that. I'm not gonna go through all that teaching and all that whole uh, scene of him with the Holy Spirit. But at the baptism of what is John, as he came out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove, and he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Okay, we all we all can concur with that? Okay. I wanna look at Luke's account on this though. In Luke's account, chapter 4, beginning begin verse 14, it says, And then Jesus returned in the power of who? The Spirit. Jesus returned. Now, okay, let me give a, a little more context here, just real quick. Not only we see, see at the baptism waters of John that he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but we also know that just after that event, Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by the saints. Remember that, the temptations of Jesus? Now, now we pick it up in, in Luke chapter 4. This is after he received the Holy Spirit. And this is after the temptations of Jesus. We pick it up in verse 14. Says, and then Jesus returned in the power of the who? Spirit to Galilee. And news of him went out throughout all of the surrounding regions. So we already know in context that he's returning in the power of the Spirit. This was never voiced before. Before he received the Holy Spirit, Jesus, yes, Jesus had a sinless life, but up to the point, Jesus did not minister, and Jesus did not operate the power of the Spirit. When he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he's returning now to the temptations in the wilderness, and he's returning the power of the Spirit, and so he, Jesus, came to Nazareth, where he had been taught, brought up, that's where he was living, And as his custom was, he just did what he was normally doing every week, and as his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath, something he'd been doing since he was a child, and he stood up to read, and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recover of sight to the blind, who set at liberty those who are in our oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord. Now there's a lot here we taught on this many times in recent past, but Jesus is now filled with the Holy Spirit. He comes to the synagogue as was his custom. He did what he normally does. He was in the school of Isaiah, and he turned to the Scriptures. And he says, "The Spirit of God is upon me, and He has anointed me." And what did God, what did what, what is he? What has the Spirit of God anointed him to do? The Spirit of God has anointed him to preach the gospel, to heal the sick I'm and the brokenhearted, hearted. to proclaim liberty to the captives, to set the captives free. And in other words, let me I think uh not here yet, can't come next thing. Jesus walked and ministered by the anointing of the Spirit of God. And we see here in Isaiah 6, 61 that he read from um, Jesus was anointed to preach the gospel. He was anointed to heal the sick, and he was anointed to bring freedom and liberty to the captives. Okay? Now we fast forward to Luke chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Then he called his twelve disciples together, and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure all diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Jesus sent his disciples, in other words, he anointed his disciples to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Fast forward, Luke chapter 10, after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others. Also, and sent them two by two, before his face into every city, a place where he himself was about to go, and heal the sick there, and say to them, the kingdom of God is coming near to you. Jesus sent the 70 to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. What is this making sense so far? So he, he was anointed to preach the gospel. He was anointed to heal the sick and set the captives free. And he sent the 12 and the 70 to do the same thing. He's anointed them and talking about this. Okay? Sorry. Jesus had them preach and demonstrate the kingdom of God. Not just preach it, but also demonstrate it. And not just demonstrate it, but also preach it. So both, 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 hey, we can take it both ways but it was preaching and demonstrating the kingdom of God. And Luke chapter 10, verse 17, 18, still the same context of the 70. And then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us. In your name, and he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Verse 19, though. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy, and nothing by shall any means hurt you. We have power over the devil. Jesus has stated that Satan fell like lightning. He is fallen, He is defeated. He, the is are. We have anointing over and we, we have an anointing. We have power, and we have authority over the devil. The devil has no power except deception. because He's also the spirit of Antiquates. Nevertheless. He says, do not rejoice in this. Don't rejoice that the spirits are subject to you. But rejoice because your names are written in heaven. That's huge. We have authority and we have dominion over the devil. But he says, don't rejoice in that. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice because you have a relationship That's huge. Submit to God. Resist the devil. And he will flee. See, a right relationship with God, which is righteousness, gives you the authority and power over Satan. That's huge. The reason we have power and authority over the devil is because we are the righteousness of God in him. Don't get so caught up And your authority and power that you isolate yourselves from abiding in a relationship with God who is your righteousness. that making sense? Because that is the source. In other words, don't do this in your own strength. Don't do this in your own power. But... Based on this foundational relationship of abiding in a relationship with God, the righteous of God, you have authority and power over Satan. But absent of this relationship with God, you have no authority. You have no power over the devil. And he will deceive you. And he will cause you to discontinue in that relationship. Does that make sense? The right relationship with God also gives you power not only to over the devil, but it also gives you authority to heal. And anything, anything else that goes that he is. the same thing he commissioned is 12, the same thing he commissioned the 70. We have power over the devil, the, to, to the heal the sick, to cast out devils, and to raise the dead. Making sense? We'll spend a little bit more time on some of this next week. But in Acts chapter 1, act the Luke, who wrote Acts, since the former account, which was Luke, the book of Luke, here Luke, in Luke, his, his sequel, if you will, the former account, I made of, of, of Theopolis, because he wrote it to Theopolis, that was his, uh, right he write of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. L- Luke wrote this book. He wrote both the book of Luke and the book of Acts to do, do two names. to, To... to, to to expound on what Jesus did and what He taught—that is huge. Does that make it sense? We need to focus on not everything—not just in everything He did, but I mean everything He taught—but also in the things that He did. We need to see the testimony of what Jesus did and what He taught. Does that make it sense? Same context. there's more in here I could expound on, but begin verse eight very familiar with passage of Scripture among most of us. But you shall receive power. when the, I'll spend more time on that next week. When the Holy Spirit hath come upon you, and you shall be, what? Witnesses to me. We're, we're not witnessing to us, or our church, or our denomination, or Andrew, or anything else. We are witnessing of Christ. In Jerusalem, and in all Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. Let me just make a couple practical points about this. If you can't get it working here at home, don't export it. If you can't get it working in Jerusalem, your home, your home base, don't try to go to the end of that. Does that make sense? I'm not talking about being perfectly in this, but if you can't get working here, in other words, start here! Start right where you're at. Start in your own life. Start in your own Jerusalem. Start here. That's not a major point, but I made a point of that nonetheless. Does that make sense? Operate in the same anointing power that Jesus had. They preached that the kingdom of God was here, and actually, in context in Acts chapter one, the disciples were asking, "Lord, are you at this, at this time going to establish your kingdom?" He said, "It's not for me to give you the times and seasons, but you shall receive power." Sometimes we felt like he didn't answer the question. No, he answered the question because the kingdom of God is where in us. And it's to my Father's pleasure, Jesus said, to give you the kingdom. The kingdom of God is where? Here. It's now. It's upon us. And we're not just to talk about the kingdom of God. We are to demonstrate. The kingdom of darkness has been reigning since Adam. But Jesus has reversed the curse. And this child, this son has been born unto us that the government of the government shall rest on his shoulders that the increase of his government and of peace shall be no end we're we're entering into the Christmas season where we celebrate his birth but our king has been born this child has been born to us he's been born to who? us so that his kingdom can advance and we are to operate in the anointing and the power Jesus was anointed to work miracles. Jesus was anointed to heal the sick. Jesus was anointed to deliver the oppressed. Jesus was anointed to set the people free. He did not just teach it, but he demonstrated it as well. We also can say, I have power in the name of Jesus. I have power to heal the sick. I have power to cast out devils. I have power to share the gospel of the kingdom of God. Jesus performed all of his miracles within three and a half years under anointing. He lived 33 and a half years on this earth. He, everything that he did, he did in three and a half years under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. John says, and there are also many other things that Jesus did which if they were written by one, the suppose that even the world of self could not contain the book that would be written. Amen. And everything he's talking about, all these books that can be written, require everything he did in three, three and a half years. Ago. One man, the Son of Man, the Son of God, anointed by the Spirit of God, anointing, him, the same anointing that is in you, did everything he did in three and a half years. Not necessarily a major point, but it is a point I'm making. He can, if he can do that through him in three and a half years, Jesus had greater work she could do. We're going to spend one more time on that next week. Okay? That makes sense? But if Jesus needed the Holy Spirit, we do. I want to say that again. If Jesus needed the Holy Spirit, we do. Again, we're talking about, and we're almost getting ready to conclude this morning, we're talking about God's anointing on you, ministering to other people. But if Jesus needed the Holy Spirit, we need it also. Okay? Ezekiel 47, and I'm going to read the whole context, now. I'm going to read more excerpts up here. And then He brought me, this angel brought me back to the Lord's temple, and there was water flowing from under the threshold. We already read from John uh, 7.38 our bellies shall flow what? Rivers of living water. He's speaking about the Holy Spirit. And here, Ezekiel gives a vision of his angel bringing him before the temple. And we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, okay? And there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple towards the east, or the front of the temple face east. And the water was flowing from under the right side of the temple south of the altar. And i think of verse 6. And he said to me, of man, have you seen this? And between verses uh, 2 to, to 5, we, we see that the river grew from, uh, from one that was to his ankles, to his knees, to his waist. Finally, it was a river that he could swim in. He picks up verse 6, and he said, S- said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he brought me and returned me to the bank of the river. And when I returned there, along the bank of the river were very many trees, and on one side and the other. And he said to me, This water flows towards the eastern region, And goes down to the valley, enters the sea, and when it reaches the sea, its waters are healed. Verse nine And it shall be that every living thing that moves where the river goes will live, and there will be very great multitude of fish, because these waters go there, where they will be healed. The Spirit of God is in us. The anointing of God is in us. Not just to help our walk with the Lord as we talked in the first half of this message this morning. But we have, the Spirit of God has anointed us to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, and to set the captives free. Amen? And we have the same Spirit of God. And wherever this river goes, and that was wherever we go, because the Spirit of God is in us, the waters, everything should be healed. Everything should be set free. We're gonna be talking about this a lot more next week, but we should be making a difference. Because the Spirit of God is in us. And the Spirit of God is greater than less than He that's in the world, including the Spirit of Antichrist that we were talking about earlier. Okay. First Corinthians 12, verses 4 to 7, and there's a lot here I can elaborate here in 1 Corinthians 12. I'm not here to so much to talk about the gifts of the Spirit, but let me just make this point. Paul says there are diversity the of gifts. But the same Spirit and the university of ministries, but the same Lord and a university of activities, but it is the same God who works all in and in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to who? To each one. This manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. God has given us His Spirit and He has given us gifts. He has given gifts to who? To each one, everybody has a gift, who is in God, for the profit of all. God has not given you gifts so that you can profit by yourself. God has given you gifts to profit all, to profit the body of Christ. And we have talked a lot about that in weeks past. Ephesians 4, 11-12 says that he himself gave some to be apostles, or some prophets, and some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. I'm not going to rehash this from previous messages we have had in the past, but God has given us the bifold the ministry so that the whole body of Christ can be edified and equipped to minister to one another. that makes sense? We need the body of Christ, and we need the ministry of the Holy Spirit to enable us to edify and encourage one another. <coughs> and going back to First Corinthians 12, it says, that one and the same Spirit works all these days, distributing each one individually wills. I can't remember my whole point with that. I don't have any notes on that. But we're going back, and again, as I said from the beginning, and as we've been saying throughout this whole series, everything we're, we're teaching about stems from this verse. For all the promises of God in Him are yes and in Him, amen, to the glory of God through who? Through us. And who are us? We are ones who have received Christ. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. His river flows from us like living waters. And God has ministered to us. He has given us the fivefold ministry to equip us so that we can minister to one another, both in the church and outside the church. That we can preach the word of God in season and out of season. That we can go to the places that he has sent us and called us to preach that the kingdom of God is here. That to heal the sick and, and to, to, to raise the dead and to cast out devils. The spirit of God is upon us and he's in us and he's on us to minister to one another. That make sense? Okay. We have an anointing in us. We have an anointing. We are anointed to carry on the works of Jesus. Jesus in his three and a half years of ministry, he preached the gospel. He demonstrated the gospel. He loved one another. He loved people. He had compassion on the people. He never was divided towards the church. He never was mean to people. He was never, uh, he ministered and edified to people. We are anointed to carry on the same work of Jesus, because the same Spirit that, that was in Christ is a mess. Use your God-given authority. In other words, use your God-given anointing watch Jesus work. The Spirit is in you to work through you. For all the promises We thank you for this anointing that you have given us to protect us, to lead us, and teach us into all truth. We thank you for this anointing that you have given us to minister to one another. But we just thank you for all the promises of God that are in hand. And yes, amen to the glory of God through us. We worship you, we magnify you we thank you that you continue to bring to our remembrance and understanding of who we are in Christ so that we can administer this to your people. Thank you, Lord, for ministering to us. and Thank you for using us to minister to others and worship you and magnify you. In Jesus' name.